Elementary school teachers are the real heroes. I got a chance to talk to an ex-elementary school teacher whose specialty is literacy. We talked about reading in early grades, differences between school districts, close reading, and teacher choice, voice, and autonomy when it comes to curriculum selection. Really important topics. You'll enjoy this one. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Turn and Talk podcast, where educators take the mic back and speak their truth without filter. I interview teachers and school personnel and ask them to share their views and experiences about education anonymously. If you work in a school setting or have worked in one and have something to say about education, something that needs to be said out loud or something that isn't said enough, then please email me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com because I'd love for you to take the mic back and add your voice to the conversation about public education. Subscribe, share, and enjoy the show. How are you? I'm fine. How about you? I'm good too. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. How's your day been? Good so far. I work from home now. So um, I just, I create PD, I create teaching resources, and I have a team. So this is what my days look like. (laughs) Very cool. I manage my team and that's it. Very cool. Um, And you said you were traveling too. Yes, I'm traveling to New Orleans for a literacy conference. Have you heard of the Plain Talk Literacy Conference? No, I haven't. Oh, it's, it's huge. Tons of presenters. They're all professors and people who have been doing research for years and years and years. So I'm really excited to learn from them. There are a lot of professors this year talking about um, dyslexia. Oh, very cool. Is reading your specialty also? Yeah, I mean, I teach. I, I was a teacher for third grade and second grade. So I taught everything. But what brought me out of the classroom was my support in ELA for teachers. So literacy. And I'm kind of trying to branch out now. This year, I've um, brought on someone who's got a master's in math education. I brought on um, a teacher who's really passionate about social and emotional learning. So I'm kind of trying to branch out again. That seems to be a thing that a lot of teachers and, and a lot of experts in education are focusing a lot more on lately yeah as in the last few years i remember cell got really i guess trendy <laughs> there's more awareness around it sure uh, sure uh, for me anyway like three four years ago i taught for six years in the classroom and i had recently changed districts and i was the the youngest teacher and therefore i felt like people perceived me as inexperienced Experienced and I didn't really have an outlet. So what I did to cope, I guess, was to, I joined all of the different committees that I could possibly join with my district, one of them being the curriculum adoption committee. So from there, I was part of our new ELA adoption, and I heard all of the different publishers come and pitch and show us their resources. And I played a really big role in adopting the curriculum that my district now uses and the first year of rolling it out there was a ton of negativity as you can imagine there always is if you if you go on any you know teacher Facebook group and say like what do you think about this curriculum you're going to get 200 comments bashing it and then one comment oh it's great you know so I think that in general like it's it's double-sided teachers know what they're doing. They are the experts and they want to be able to just teach the standards the way that they know how to do it. 
and using the different trainings and, and, and practices that they've acquired over the years. But then when a publisher comes or a district comes and says, here, use this, it's prepackaged, just follow it to the T. That's super frustrating. So I, re- I realized this and I saw this, I witnessed this the first year. And I realized that there was really a need for collaboration and I needed to create a space where teachers would um, work with me to kind of see the the bright side. So it's really funny. I created a Facebook group and almost overnight it exploded. So it's a group that is for teachers using this specific ELA program. And what I did was I just started saying, hey guys, on Sundays, let's plan virtually. Sunday evenings, I'll come on here, we'll do a live video. Let's just plan and try to make sense of this curriculum. And together, let's bring in our Daily Five training, our Thinking Maps training, our Kagan strategies, and see where we can plug it into this program. Because bottom line is we have to teach it but we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I mean? So I created this community and over the last two years it's exploded. And now I, I literally don't, I can't be in the classroom anymore (laughs) (laughs) because I from around the world. Yeah. Getting in touch with me. And that's super fulfilling to me. And I, and I know that now I'm making even more of an impact. I'm not only helping teachers, but I'm helping tons of students. So. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about about the curriculum itself. Can you also just backtrack a little bit and, and uh, tell us how you got into education to begin with? Oh, sure. So it's I have one of those stories where it's like I always wanted to be a teacher. I had a first grade teacher. You know the story. Yeah. It's Giovanazzi, and she inspired me. And as a kid, I was super bossy, and um, I would have all my neighbor neighborhood um, neighbors come over, all the kids. And I would assign them homework and I would make them sit on their sit spots and all that. And I wasn't even that much older. <laughs> but I just, I have that personality where I need to be like in charge. <laughs> and Ms. Giovanazzi, my first grade teacher, she, she really inspired me. And then it, it just never went away. So once I graduated high school, I went right into a fast track program. And I, it was an integrated, like a blended program. And I got my BA and credential in four years. And then I was actually hired by a local, very large district um, before I graduated. So as soon as the new school year started, I, I was placed. And, wow. and what did you teach in what age group? I taught third grade and it was in a, part, a section of LA that like you, it was, it was, it was low income um, poverty-stricken, really challenging. And I was there for two years until my principal decided to transfer. And when she transferred, a ton of teachers were transferring as well because we all loved her. She was amazing. And so then I thought, well, now's my chance to go back to my home district and see if they're hiring because that was kind of always my goal is to go back to the community in which I grew up in. And they were. And I got a job at my school that I attended as a kid. And Just- you were still an <laughs> elementary school teacher? Did you teach the same grade? Yeah, well, I taught second and third, and then one year I taught a two-three combo. Cool. And did you teach the traditional model, like all subjects, or did you specialize in like literacy and social studies and science or something? I taught all subjects. Um, my last two years, I had a really awesome third grade team, and we would kind of we wouldn't departmentalize, but we would put our classes together, 
and teach certain things together. And I was kind of stronger in literacy and I would make, I would do all the planning for ELA and with, you know, 70 kids in our room, like I would be up there leading the lesson. And then my partner teacher would kind of do the same with math. So what's, what is uh, the most challenging aspect of teaching third grade or elementary school in general? (laughs) Oh man. Um, the, I think the exhaustion, because you are juggling so many things at the same time, you have to multitask. You have to be thinking about a zillion things. And for me personally, like when I'm really focusing all my efforts and channeling all my efforts in one thing to really master that, I feel that I might start struggling with, I don't know, management, or I always had the class with all the IEPs too. So I was making sure that I was making all those accommodations for those kids. So I felt like it was hard to do all of the things with the same amount of effort at the same time. And that's definitely, I think one of the struggles that everyone has is there's so much on our plates and people expect us to just do it all because that's what we're paid for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's exhausting. Yeah, so it's such a long day, especially for elementary school teachers. I feel like you guys just are always on, never really stop. But what about literacy, though? What kind of difficulties arise in the classroom uh, with regards to literacy? And why do some students not keep up with learning language, reading, and writing than others? Well, in my own experience, I taught third for the most part. And I had students that came to me that had very large gaps in their foundational reading skills. So then once they got to third and we really started with, um, you know, comprehension, reading literature and and picking things apart, it was a challenge because there were so many gaps in just basic reading, really decoding and whatnot. So it's a challenge to meet the, the, all the different levels once you get to that grade. I mean, I'm sure it's the, the same kind of case in every grade level, but by the time they're in third, there's such a range and there's only one of you. So I, I teach in small groups and I differentiate, um, based on, you know, my guided reading levels. Um, but that's a lot, that's a big challenge because we are supposed to be presenting these, the students with complex text and we're supposed to model how to grapple with complex text. But when you've got a student that, you know, hasn't even learned their sight words, and then you've got a student who might be reading sixth grade level, it's really hard to, to do everybody a service, you know, to give them all what they need. Yeah. So what is, uh, in your experience, what have you seen as effective practices at that grade level to get kids to get caught up in, in their reading deficiencies? Small group instruction. (laughs) It's hard, but it's how you have to do it. And do you fall in the camp of a little bit of uh, decoding and whole language, or do you think one is more important than the other at different stages of a child's life? Um, I think that in the primary grades, it's, it's, that's more important to, to gain those foundational reading skills. Um, that's, that's an area that I'm not as strong in. Because... Like the phonics instruction you're talking about? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning how to read. And, um, yeah, so that, that's one of my bigger challenges and reading, spelling, et cetera. But yeah, you just, you do what you need to do. You have to regularly assess. You have to regularly be working in a small group. So you really truly understand what that's, what those students' strengths and weaknesses are, where those gaps are, and then you need to plan. And in, in my case, I really try to turn to my curriculum because that's what my district spent 
you know, millions of dollars on. I should have the resources. And I try to pick and choose. I don't use everything, but I pick and choose what's going to work for me and my kids. And sometimes that means knocking on the first grade teacher's door and saying, hey, I need to borrow this. Yeah. Since you are someone who is a trainer, I'm sure you've gone through a ton of PD yourself. So can you speak a little bit about your professional development experience? How was it when you were in the classroom and what lessons you learned from it and what do you try to do now in your own sessions? Sure. So when I taught in my the big the big district, I had a lot of support, especially in the in the um you know, community that I was in, we, we received a lot of funds and I had a lot of support and I was always going through PD. And I, I really was, that really interested me as a new teacher. And I tried to apply everything, anything and everything, right? Once I moved to my smaller district, that is, is totally, it's almost like no matter what I do with those kids, they're going to be successful. So it's a different kind of scenario. I didn't have as much opportunity for training I wasn't given as many district trainings so but I've never stopped wanting to learn more and so I think that's one of the benefits of my Facebook group really is is learning from all of the teachers from around the world saying like tell me more about this strategy and this training that you went to and let's see how how it all connects because a lot of it's just recycled you know. Do you think teachers uh, get the right PD, the, the in-house school PD? Do you think in your experience that it's the right kind of PD that teachers are getting? Or do you think, oh, I wish there was some other kind of PD that teachers also got that in your experience you never got? Um, in my experience, I've gotten typically what I've needed. Um, I really enjoy teacher-led PD. And so my, you know, my principals, both principals really were, were good about that. Um, letting us go and observe other teachers, even other schools, and attend, you know, the Tuesday afternoon staff meetings led by the staff. So I felt supported in that sense. In terms of like the, the um, expensive PD, I definitely, I, I got more of that at my, um, my first placement where we had more funds. Would you say that's the primary difference between school in a low-income urban setting? and a, I guess, a more middle-class neighborhood or a suburban setting, uh, just resources or access resources? Or do you think there are other differences that make one setting perhaps more or less challenging than the other? Um, there are definitely, so in terms of PD, in my experience, it's probably, it might not be the same as everyone else's. I had access to more. We were better supported, but I've definitely seen and heard from other teachers that that's not the case. Um, in other areas, it was way more challenging um, to teach in my first placement because I had students who, you know, didn't have a parent or, you know, couldn't do their homework because their mom was arrested last night or things like that. Like things that, that no no child should ever have to go through. And it's the, the types of challenges that they see and they face that put really learning and what's on the agenda on the back burner because I found myself having to close my you know my lesson plan book and just pull everybody on the carpet and say let's talk let's cry do what you let's let's work this out um so that was emotionally a lot more challenging and with that you also had different behaviors different student behaviors because they're learning how to cope and so you know I definitely encountered 
aggression and violence and cursing. Um, and that took a toll as well. I understood it, but it took a toll. Yeah. What do you think, what is needed in, in schools like that, as far as the educational program is concerned, to really properly support the children who have needs that are different than a lot of the needs that their peers from more, from more affluent neighborhoods might have? more access to support staff like people professionals that can come in and not only support the students but support the teachers as well it's kind of um i think one of the approaches is to say here's a new like prepackaged social and emotional curriculum go ahead and do this every tuesday for 30 minutes and that's another thing on the teacher and it's like well i i will learn this because that's mm -hmm. my job and i care about these kids but this is not part of what i signed up for and it's it's stressful and and um it would it's appreciated when there are you know therapists and other yeah. support people that can come in and and really provide support to everybody that costs money yeah what do you think is the role of a literacy teacher in a classroom for example do you think the role is about teaching children how to read and write do you think um, there are other not on the job description types of roles that you also have to play? How do you situate a literacy teacher in the 21st century in an elementary school classroom? What is their role in your view? Um, probably, probably two roles. The first, the first thing, the first goal is to instill a love of reading. We want students to be able to pick up a book and enjoy it and learn from it and learn about the world and about cultures and and, and really just truly enjoy the act of reading. And the other goal that I personally have is to prepare my students for the type of reading that they will be needing to do as an adult. So it's close reading, it's reading for a purpose. It might not be reading from cover to cover the way that we read, you know, we have a question, we go and we Google and we read something and we find the exact answer. So that's in third grade anyway, at the very, that's what we're just kind of starting with in third is, reading for a purpose and finding the information that you need um, because that's going to help kids not only be successful in college if they choose to go to college, but just in life in general is just finding the resources and the information that they need. So it's funny you mentioned uh, close reading. I'd love to hear more thoughts from you around close reading. Uh, when Common Core first came around, there was a big emphasis around, at, at least in, in my city, on close reading. There were some elementary schools here that renamed some of their blocks as close reading, like during the schedule you had reading and then you had close reading and then you had writing. And um, What is your opinion on uh, close reading? What is close reading and what's the value in it? So close reading is when you've got a, a, a text that is complex enough to be um, used in multiple touches for different purpose, purposes. So if you look at our standards, say like the informational reading standards for third grade, there's really like nine. Um, you should be able to take one text and first read it to pull out the key details and the main idea. So just a basic understanding what's important in here the first time. The next time we might analyze it, just, just a part of it for a new word, okay? So that point four reading standard where there's um, this unknown word and now we need to come up with st strategies of attack. So like, how are we gonna figure out what this word means based on the context, the rest of the paragraph? 
that's a whole lesson in and of itself. Then the next day, we might look at a couple of paragraphs over here in that same text and say, okay, well, what do you think the structure is? Is it, um, is this a text that's showing me problem and solution or is it, you know, cause and effect? What, what's the purpose of this? Why do you think the author wrote this in this way? What information are you getting from it? Um, so that would be like another touch. And then, you know, say like the 0.9 standard, you take this text and then you take another text. We talk about the similarities and the differences and what in knowledge can we integrate using both texts? So it's using that same piece for many different skills over time. Yeah, so it sounds like it's something that you really very closely analyze each word's choice, all the choices that the author makes within a text to give it the many layers of meaning that might be embedded in it. And you're in the camp that says that this kind of reading is very important to start to train children in, in as early as third grade. Is that right? I do think it's important, yes, because it, it goes with that second goal that I'm talking about. It's reading for a purpose. So, you know, students might not be successful in applying every single skill and strategy right away or even in third grade. But over time, repeated exposure, repeated practice, they're going to be able to strengthen those skills and then work towards that second goal of being able to take liter uh, literature and just text from anywhere and getting the information that they need from it. You know, one of the challenges that I face sometimes in, in any kind of a close reading task is when you do multiple readings of something, it's uh, the engagement can take a dip. Uh, so, you know, figuring out ways to how to still keep the second and the third reading engaging is, is, mm -hmm. is a big challenge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then another challenge is keeping that lesson mini. Because if you are going to run a workshop model classroom where you are going to be meeting the needs of your different groups and pulling those small groups, you can't spend your whole time in whole, whole class lessons just like, you know, beating them over the head with text and totally making them bored. It's got to be quick, 15 to 20 minutes, and that takes practice. That took me a good year to master. And then, um, then you start pulling your groups and you can use a text that's at their level. And say, let's practice that same skill we were just working on whole class, but but let's use this new text and practice. So it's a <laughs> lot, but I <laughs> Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Well, what do you think then about the use of technology in, in elementary schools or just uh, for reading instruction in general? Uh, are you, what's your thought on the use of, for example, iPads, laptops, ebooks, audiobooks, et cetera? What are your thoughts on those? Um, the way that I've used it, since I've never been in a classroom that's one-to-one, -one, we have one Chromebook cart that we share, <laughs> so I kind of have to reserve it. Um, the way that I found ways to incorporate it was to um, assign the student text to them online and have them listen to the text before coming to meet with me in my guided reading group, so at least they've heard it once. Because... Before close reading, I want my students to read for enjoyment. I want them to listen to it, and I want them to connect with it in their own way before we start picking it apart and analyzing it. And I think technology has really been helpful in that regard because they can put on some headphones and they can listen to the text being read aloud to them. And there are a lot of different apps and websites now that do that for the kids. So talk to me about you know being in the classroom, having been in the classroom. What were some of the biggest challenges or, or frustrations that came in the work um management overall because 
it's ongoing. It's something that you need to practice and get better at all the time. Even after you found the perfect system, you still need to refine and reteach and practice over and over. And that that's draining and that's stressful. I mean, I also have two small girls and I have to tell them the same thing every single day. <laughs> so it's, it's, that is a, a challenge because as teachers, we want to be able to say, look at this great system that I've put into place. And it's, it's addressing your behavior and it's addressing your behavior. And it's just, it's awesome. So do it. But um, the kids come in to the class with their own, their own moods, their own styles, and that changes day to day, and you just kind of have to roll with it. And it's hard to keep up with that when you're also trying to keep up with the thousands of other things. <laughs> what about curriculum, though? Do you think, to go back to the comment you made earlier about, you know, there's different camps of a scripted curriculum. Some teachers want a scripted curriculum. They don't want to have to do a whole lot of planning. They want to be able to roll with it. And there's a lot of teachers who feel like their own creativity is stifled when you uh, are, when someone imposes a curriculum on them. So what, where do you fall in that? And how do you think that affects uh, teaching? Uh, My teaching style, I've been told I, I am organic in my teaching. So I, I'm not one to follow. (laughs) I will plan and I will make sure that I've got a well thought out and developed lesson and unit, but I'm not going to be following a script that just doesn't work with me. And um, I think that it's, there's always going to be a struggle in both camps. So like when we, like, for example, before we adopted our curriculum, we didn't have something for like 14 years, something crazy like that. And so teachers complained that we didn't have resources and we had to go and buy things and piece things together and, that's challenging in and of itself. But then I've also heard and seen the the struggle that teachers have when something is handed to them because it they feel like it stifles their craft and their creativity. So I think that's going back to, you know, my whole mission and what I've been doing for the last two years is let's take what we're given because it's the reality is we're always going to have a curriculum that's based on this, you know, research, but it's our job to make it practical and make it work for not only ourselves, but our specific students. And like I said, there's no reason to let go of your trainings that you've had in the past or your favorite strategies that you've always loved and that have worked for you. You just have to find ways to marry it. Thank you. We're coming close to the end now. I just wanted to ask your opinion on just the current state of education. Some people think that our education system is kind of broken. It's not working for a lot of kids, a lot of children, especially in marginalized communities. And some people think there's an overemphasis on tests and standardized testing. And no one is out there saying that we have some of the best (laughs) public education that the world has to offer. No one's out there saying that. So uh, do you think there's something wrong? Something's broken? And if nothing's broken, and if we still need to make an improvement, what, what do you think from a teacher's perspective and a trainer's perspective, we need to do to improve education and teaching and education outcomes? First of all, we need to keep our teachers happy and we need to help them feel supported. And that involves giving them more autonomy and trusting them and letting them be the experts. Um, Secondly, I've always thought that things are just too big. (laughs) I mean, it might have been because I started out in the second largest school district in America, but how can you run anything 
entirely effectively when it's that huge. I feel like teach, I had a number. I wasn't, I wasn't who I was. I had an employee ID number and I could never get someone on the phone when I needed help. So it's just very demoralizing when, when you don't have that personal, yeah, you don't feel supported essentially is what it comes down to. What kind of support do teachers need to be successful? Mm, they need, oh God. Because they, they got to teach at the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, you're in the room in front of the kids. So what support absolutely. do you think is necessary? Um, first of all, just a general understanding that we can't do it all and to you know, assess, evaluate us the way that we're evaluated and to give these standardized tests to just, just these blanket tests to people without in, in classes, without taking into considerations, all the differences and, and not understanding truly where a teacher is coming from. That's, that's something that lacks. And I don't, I don't know if that can ever be solved. I don't know. <laughs> um, but like I said, also like in my first position as a new teacher with kids throwing chairs at me, like that's, that's not, that's not what I signed up for. And it's certainly something I will do because I love my kids. And I know those are the ones that I make the biggest impact with, but I would have loved somebody even just to be in the room with me for an hour, once a week to be like, Hey, let's, you're doing a good job. Let me show you what we can do in this exact situation. Not here's a book, read this, but let me give you some hands-on support. But again, that costs money. Yeah, it costs money, um, <laughs> but I don't know. Some people might argue that we have it, and and that's a whole different debate too. Mm -hmm. Do you feel uh, then that teachers are uh, well respected uh, in our in our country at the moment? What do you? How do you perceive the perceptions of teachers? Uh, I don't know. I think it's. It's people are, the general public, I think, are coming around and I'm seeing a lot more positivity around teachers. I mean, there's still, when you look at the news, about you, in, teachers in the news, it's mostly reporting on the, the bad stuff. Um, so there is that still. Um, I think we have a long way to go still. The strikes yeah. aren't as successful as, as teachers would hope, um, but teachers are starting to stand up and and um, I am seeing a little bit more being publicized in terms of like the reality and what goes on. Mm -hmm. So, Well, thank you for your um, perspective and your thoughts. Um, there's one question I wanted to ask you that's a little bit out of order now, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I really wanted to get your opinion on it. As an elementary school uh, ex-teacher, do you think the expectations we have, for example, from grade to grade, like at this time, the way most of the education is set up, I think, is that within one year's time, you're supposed to make X, you know, amount of growth, like every year you're supposed to read at your grade level, for example, right? That's a very common perception. Um, we still talk about students who are in middle school but are reading at a third grade level or a second grade level. Uh, what do you think about levels? Do you think they're real? Um, do you think uh, that expecting every child uh, to grow a level um, in the same amount of time um, is reasonable? What's your thought on that? No. <laughs> no, everyone's going to learn at their different levels. Every Every child comes in with their own set of of things really you know i mean 
the grade levels are are based on age, right? So developmentally, what where they should be, that's how they're they're grouped. Um, but in terms of academic levels, they're all they're all over the place. And like I said, I my experience is in third, so I really have a big gap in terms of like, for example, reading. But I'm sure the same sort of thing exists down in kindergarten. Um, and it just it's just because that's that's kids, that's people. We're all different, and you just need to do. I mean, we have these standards to kind of keep us working towards a common goal and which allows us to somewhat like vertically plan together. Um, but it's a shared responsibility K through 12, really. It's a shared partnership, shared responsibility. We can't, you know, blame other teachers, blame, blame grade levels because it's not, it's not, that's not the issue. It's just that every kid learns at their own pace and we just need to do our best work together. I love that. I love that message, not blaming other teachers and, oh, that ex-teacher didn't teach him this. You know, that kind of thing is a bad trap to fall into. Last question. If you had a magic wand and you could do whatever you wanted to do with it uh, to f- make education better, to make education outcome better, outcomes better, to make teaching better, the profession in general, what would you do with your magic wand? Oh, man. <laughs> So in the same way that kids are all different, teachers are all different, we all need different things. Um, if I could wave a magic wand, I would get every teacher <laughs> exactly what they need. Dude, I don't know. <laughs> a, a differentiated approach, spoken like an yeah. elementary school teacher. Yeah, everyone gets what they want. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot from you. I appreciate you spending the time. I know you're very busy, uh, but I think a lot of people will learn from the things that you've shared uh, in this uh, little interview. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turnandtalk and talk podcast if you haven't subscribed yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in this is your host jay mcsuits signing out peace